Good evening, and welcome to this edition of V Radio. Um, tonight, my guest is an occupied trader who will be talking with us tonight about the goings-on at the big-time uh, the, the Occupy gathering in Philadelphia. Uh, if this is your first time checking out V Radio, please check out my website, v-radio.org. Uh, there you can find archives of other shows like this one. I've interviewed uh, people from lots of different occupies in the area. I've also interviewed documentary filmmakers, scientists, activists, uh, <laughs> basically a lot of things interesting to people who are actually trying to make the world better. So that being said, um, if you this is a listener-supported effort. If you're interested in you know donating to it, you know, please don't you know hesitate to go to my website and make a contribution. So. Thanks again, and welcome to V Radio. Um, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, thanks a lot for having me on the show. Um, my name is Terry Hall. As you know, I do participate in Occupy Detroit. I uh, came into the movement um, basically out of many interests, I suppose, that we can talk about later, and largely I uh, do uh, photography and photojournalism and now uh, maintain a blog, Occupy uh, DetroitFreePress.org. Well, that's awesome. Um, yeah, definitely. We're gonna remind me to, or if I don't, if I forget, we got to make sure that we put that URL out again at the end of the site to make sure people can check out your blog. So, I got in contact with you because uh, you had said that you had just gotten back from the big, the big meeting in Philly, and I was hoping to get some kind of input about that. I've also opened up the call-in lines in the event that anybody who was there or who is there now would like to call in and participate. I don't know how well that'll go given the short amount of uh, notice that I gave people. But um, So I guess uh, let me first of all get started with uh, uh, basically obeying my tradition of asking every new per participant in V Radio, uh, what was the precipice for you? What was the moment in your life that caused you to go from someone who was just part of the world to someone who was trying to make it better? Um. Well, I'll give Occupy some credit, um, but actually, I think that my entire life I spent a lot of time looking at, at what I considered a fairly unjust world, the way that things were. Not in so much a complaining way, but just um, a wondering way. <laughs> like, right. why, are, why are things like this? And I think that I had gone a long time seeing a lot of, you know, the Reagan years, uh, George Bush's effect on the economy, on my parents. Um, I'm an early Gen Xer, born in like you know late '63, early '64, but actually late '63. Um, so there wasn't me growing up. I saw protests on television. I did question a lot. By the time I came of age, there wasn't so much of that going on. I didn't. There wasn't a place. Um, or a movement to participate in that was big enough or expanse enough to reach the small town in Indiana that I grew up in. Uh, I did grow up in Elkhart, Indiana, which did gain a little bit of fame, I suppose, during the last years, like one of the most, had the highest unemployment rate in the country uh, at one moment in time. Uh, President Obama visited there a few times. So that's where I'm from. I saw a great disparity between the have and the have-nots, uh, very much just the way the town has always been and is growing worse uh, at all times. So I guess when the Occupy movement sprang up, it just seemed like a salmon swimming you know, upstream, if you will. There's just something that spoke to me about that. Finally, someone is saying enough is enough. The silence needs to be broken. And I grabbed my, my camera, and most of my camera efforts had been around stills of architecture, um, custom lighting of smoke and other art prints. I knew nothing about photojournalism. Uh, but I grabbed my camera anyway, went down to Hart Plaza in downtown Detroit, uh, where the gathering was. I, I wanted to see it. It was exciting. Something's happening. Someone's complaining. And, of course, this is all after the, the whole uh, Wall Street uh, debacle and the uh, mortgage and foreclosure problems and the banking industry failure and, and so forth. 
and Occupy Wall Street had already started. I was excited to hear and listen about about that on the radio. Uh, but then when I found out it was going to be happening on Detroit, we're going to have our own movement. I didn't even know that I'd be participating. So uh, I went downtown, came around, grabbed at that time my fiance, now my wife, and we went down with our cameras and, you know, the signs everywhere, huge crowd of people lining up, um, started taking photographs. And I guess from there, really, it just never left. It was like, I'm not just going to leave this alone, not just going to go down and take photos because it was interesting for one day. Um, I realized I was there for some other purpose. And that was to finally say that this is not right. The way things are need to be different somehow. And I don't know what that is, but doing nothing is simply no longer acceptable. Uh, so I followed online for a while um, and then started going down to the encampment. So I was not one of the people that was able to stay at the encampment for various reasons. but uh, So I stayed out of camp, but I went down every other evening taking photos, talking to people, um, going to general assemblies, and finding out about, oh, there, there's a media group, and they meet at this building at this time. And I showed up one day and just kind of politely stood there until I got a break in, introduced myself, and from there became part of the media group. Uh, very different experience than participating in anything else where, oh, you need a degree, you need to be an expert in this, uh, you have to have these qualifications, and you have to know somebody. This was, hey, I've got a camera, and I care about what's happening. Can I do something? That was accepted. Uh, so that in itself was pretty exciting, and I think that gave a lot of people a chance to come in and to realize that this was something about changing the human condition, not having pre-qualifications uh, to do so, and that we were all qualified. And so it was that point of inclusion, I guess, that brought me in more deeply and what has kept me in and continues to. Well, that's that's awesome. It's a great story, actually. Um, yeah, my own experience with Occupy Detroit is is very similar. You know, when they, when we had a camp, you could just kind of walk in there, and there were all these people that you could just kind of walk up and talk to, and they kind of expected that there were no barriers, no racial barriers, no uh, you know way of life barriers, no sexual orientation barriers. Everybody was accepting. You know, I mean, there's still burps every now and then, you know, occasional little spats or whatever, but in comparison to my interaction with everyone else I've ever interacted with in this world, I, I'm honestly homesick for the, uh, the the sensation that I had when we were in camp. You know, and I homesick is the word I would use because after I would go home, you know, I just did not feel... I, I, I felt like I was away from the place that I belonged. I really enjoyed my time at the Occupy Detroit camp. So um, now I guess to, to talk about what led up to you deciding to go to the meeting in Philly. Um, really the only decision that was really driving it was simply resources. Um, I had wanted to go to the NATO protest in Chicago, and because of some timing and financial constraints, simply couldn't make it. Uh, when Philly came up, I was looking at that and saying, hey, wait a minute, uh, I think maybe I can do that. <clears throat> so I was able to pull together um, enough of the right resources and do enough planning to go rather inexpensively. Uh, and so to me, I, I would love to go and shoot any of these events just to see what's going on. Um, because now I, I'm greatly looking at what's going on inside the Occupy movement. What do these things mean? Where are we going? Um, doing some reflecting. And I, I think everyone inside the Occupy movement is doing some reflecting. Um, so to me, it was less of a decision about why to go than, than just the fact that, hey, I can go, <laughs> so I'm going to. Excellent, excellent. So I guess, uh, you know, what was it like, obviously, when you first arrived? Just take us through it. Um, so the first morning I got down to camp, I would say it was kind of an odd mixture. Um, it was subdued, 
people kind of, you know, when people meet up, they're happy to see each other. There are people saying, hey, I've been talking to you for months online, right? I've never seen you, you know. And so there were some of those meetups that were happening, and that was kind of cool. People getting to know each other. You know, was there any symbolism used, any signs used? Who's in Occupy and who's not, right? So if you might use some of your GA hand signals or talk to people about things, I handed out people my cards from uh, Occupied... uh, Detroit Free Press uh, reporter card. So they knew that I was with the movement uh, because oftentimes you got a couple cameras hanging around your neck and they wonder, who are you? You know, right. are you taking pictures of us, right? And are you the media? Are you my friend? Are you my enemy? Uh, so I did some of that. Um, what's peculiar within a meetup like that in that morning was the amount of uh, police. And, and I suppose... In Detroit, we have not had that type of police presence. So it's not something that's foreign to other people, I'm sure, in in, in our other larger cities, but I haven't been exposed to it personally as much. Uh, because there wasn't anything, you know, there wasn't any direct action or protest going on at the moment. Um, but there were, uh, you know, Philadelphia police, just standard police. There were bike police. There were park rangers. There are U.S. Marshals. Um, <clears throat> special something or other. <laughs> I, I, wow. I, I have, if I go back through, as I go back through my photos, I think I'm up to a count of six or seven different types of identified law enforcement officers. And to me, it looked like you're in the 20 to 30 percent range of the crowd being law enforcement which was kind of, you know, a lot different than than I'm used to. Uh, you know, and in some instances kind of circling everything, keeping a perimeter at all times. So there was that kind of halo going over it. However, you know, I would honestly say there weren't, you know, there weren't really any skirmishes or conflicts too much. They were just there, there was a presence, that was about it. As the day went on, a couple people were detained. And, you know, they would form, the police would form a circle where they're facing out and, and form a circle around somebody and go through their bag or whatever. And, you know, I guess they're on heightened alert because of the 4th of July, you know, and so Independence Day celebrations. There were a couple of uh, uh, tours coming, music tours coming through town. So they're going to be an unexpectedly high number of tourists coming through and then occupy on top of it was making them pretty nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that was kind of, you know, and, and the first day was basically a lot of speakers just saying, hey, you know, I'm going to get into more detail this later on in the week, but here's a summary of what I'm going to go over and, and giving out their basic ideas, introducing themselves, uh, getting to know who was who. Uh, but um, that that kind of quickly changed. Um, in fact, just later that that same evening, uh, there were other there were other meetups in different parks. So in Philadelphia, you've got right in front of the Liberty Bell. It's like this Independence Mall they call it, and there's a there's a big wide open field with just sidewalks in it, and there's a tourist center on one side, and the Liberty Bell in the back, and a monument in the front with the First Amendment on it which is also kind of interesting. Uh, <laughs> Perfect <laughs> and, backdrop for a protest. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's you know, a photographer's dream. And um, definitely I could see what they were going for. Okay, well, you're right here is our, our guaranteed right, you know, to do this. Um, but there was another park that they went into that was just a couple blocks away later that evening. And... And they were kind of having one of these mic check exercises. Right. And people were in the middle right and just doing a, here's how I feel, and I'm angry, and this is why. Um, and there seemed to be, on that day, very much a feeling of, hey, you know what? All these police are around, but we shouldn't be giving them a hassle because, look, they have families. They're part of the 99%. Sure. You know, they're doing right what they're supposed to be doing Let's try and not have conflict with them because what are we accomplishing by that? 
I just had to and, resist the urge to throw up spirit fingers, but I realized nobody can see them on the radio. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, go on. <laughs> yeah. And, and and I was kind of have getting more and more into that camp as, as I see some of this, and, and I'll tell you why. So as it progressed, and there were others, of course, and literally um, – uh, it, you know, so as far as censorship goes, I don't know how free I am here, but uh, uh, on the language thing, are we are we okay? You're fine. Go ahead. Okay, just checking. So literally, many of the other rants or or right or mic checks were literally just fuck the police. All right. Well. Uh. Oh, okay, but. You know what I thought of, and I mean, I'm shooting at that time, and, you know, light is really nice for the last hour or so of the day when, when the sun is up. So I'm doing a lot of shooting during that kind of that golden hour. Um, and then as the light goes down, you start to have to work a lot harder with the camera. And, you you know, you're down at a – not getting to too much technical stuff, but in order to, you know, to get the camera to not blur people and have other issues, you're in a very challenging settings. So – I'm working that pretty hard, but um, still, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know, why aren't we going to the 1%? Why are we in their grill? You know, because I don't really understand. I mean, we're all being used by those who have power and authority and more money and resources than we do, right? And we're all being controlled by them to a certain degree because we have to make money to buy food, to pay our rent, to live. Um, so why aren't we? Why aren't we as them? Instead, we're going to an intermediary who has no more power or influence than we do, who is just taking the abuse for those in power, right? That aren't suffering at all, right? They they don't care. They're out at dinner, right? Having their their uh, surf and turf, right? And and on the third bottle of wine. So I. I kind of failed to see what the point of that was. I can understand the anger and the frustration. There's another kind of point uh, to bring up, but well let me um uh, let me comment a little on that if you if I may um certainly. I, I think that um it almost plays into the hands of the 1% that we spend so much time on trying to alienate the police uh and the, the soldiers for that matter. Uh I don't really watch a lot of Alex Jones because a lot of his stuff is sensationalist and crazy, but if you take a look at the the one thing he did, oh geez, um, he did a whole special like where he got to join journalists to to witness this military training exercise where they're literally training soldiers to you know set up FEMA camps and all that and you know take people in and you know hold them you know whether they're you know going along with it or not they actually had paid actors you know, who were there to to basically resist them as they're trying to take them out of their homes and off to these camps and stuff. You know, this is all real footage. This isn't anything he made up. That's why I pretty much just ignored everything Alex Jones said in the presentation and just watched the footage. And the footage was damning enough. When you're hearing, um, like, you might have heard, like, some protesters will put, like, this in some of their samples for their music, but you hear a soldier saying, attention, 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 you know, uh, American forces are here to help. We will not tolerate civil disobedience. You know, um, essentially the reason I'm bringing all this up is that if and when we ever get to the point of a fascist takeover situation, they're going to hit our soldiers and our police with all kinds of propaganda. They're going to label us as terrorists and violent, you know, people who need to be taken down, you know, who are a threat to their families. And the more we actively antagonize them, the more that plays into exactly what the 1% wants. The 1% wants the police and the soldiers to be their stormtroopers. And if we allow you know, our image to be painted that way, then that's exactly what we're going to get. We really need to learn the lesson that the civil rights movement with Dr. Martin Luther King learned, which was that if you appear absolutely peaceful and passive, the bad guys are extremely obvious. The minute you start spitting, throwing things, cussing, whatever, it makes it extremely easy for the propaganda artists in the mainstream media to paint you as whatever they want. You know, which you've, we've seen in the past, you know, where you have hostile crowds. Like the, there was one in Oregon, actually, there's a, uh, 
there's a YouTube video you can probably find via via Google of this protest in Oregon back when Bush was still the president, and it's called, you know, this is what a police state looks like. And the crowd is extremely hostile to the police, and the police haven't even done anything yet. Um, but by the time, uh, you know, they've actually been given the order to just remove the protesters because they're loud enough that the people in the hotel who went to meet with Bush could hear them, um, you know, all they had to do was claim that somebody had thrown a bottle, and then all the mainstream media had to do was play all the images of the angry crowd that was cussing and flicking off the police to make it believable. You know, there is no amount of spin you could have done to one of Martin Luther King's marches to make it look like anything other than a bunch of bullies pushing around a bunch of peaceful protesters. And that's a lesson that I think we have to be very careful about because they really want us to be violent because then they can get rid of us. It actually reminds me of a quote from John Lennon. I'm not going to remember the exact um, wording, so it's a paraphrase. People have to bear with me, but I'm sure they can find it if, they, if they're not already familiar with it. But John Lennon said, when it comes down to the point that we're using violence, we're playing you know, the system's game. They understand violence. They don't understand humor. They don't understand art. They don't understand you know, peace and love. They don't understand how to fight those things because there really isn't a way to fight those things. And I totally understand that some of these police are out of control, and in fact, maybe even many. But I also know we have, like, the, ironically, a Philadelphia police officer, the one who was protesting alongside the Wall Street people in his uniform. He was a captain, you know, in the Philadelphia right. PD. You know, right. so do we well, want so, to scream, fuck the police, when he's hanging around? Right. Obviously not. Exactly, and, and so, uh, you know... When they had contained, well, there was a, of course, there was a scuffle for a while because somebody tried to put up a tent in the park. They said, look, no camping in the park. That's the policy. Whether you like it or not, I understand, you know, why we would occupy a park, but still. So while, while there was, while they were holding people out of the park to like, you know, get things settled down for a second, there were, of course, protesters right up in the police's face, yelling at them. And one police officer was, I won't say dumb, but but he made the mistake, right, of trying to reason with him. Mm-hmm. You know, look, you know, we told you to back off and that you couldn't do this, and then that's why you're getting shoved and put outside here because that's what we got to do, you know. Um, and then they, of course, just started getting all up in it, and and the captain, or yeah, two bars, so I'm pretty sure he's a captain, came over to him and said, you know, you just. No, don't say anything, right? Didn't exactly say that, but you could tell by his hand motions. So they just stood there and looked at him and said nothing, like they've been trained to do. And then they were just yelling at the guy, like, see, you know, you do what you're told, you know, and and probably a few things worse, right? So what I was thinking at that moment in time was, you know, right now he can't do anything because he was told not to. And he's he's, he's trained as a professional not to try to escalate the situation. Uh, but the next time he gets his baton out, right, all that rage is going to come out on somebody else. Absolutely. And you are standing there at the front line. Well, I listen to people in that park tell their stories, pour their hearts out over what has happened to them, that they've lost everything, right? And then you have somebody like that that's actually having fun trying to incite a riot. It's like, why are you here? You're just, you know, uh, I guess, enjoying someone else's misery, you know. And I find that very distasteful. Um, That doesn't get anything done. Uh, I don't even think there's 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 no political statement. There's no economic theory. It doesn't matter if you uh, say you like Marxism or the zeitgeist movement or you're an anarchist. So what? None of those behaviors plays into any kind of a horizontal uh, society or or any way that's a solution. Well, I think it's important to note that, you know, for example, uh, there was a very compelling YouTube video. uh, I want to say it was Occupy Portland, but they had a huge group and they were pushing the police back. And the police were allowing themselves to be pushed back. They did not use their batons. They were standing there with their shields, but they weren't pepper spraying anyone. You know, and the people were there, were, you know, were shouting in unison, peaceful protest, peaceful protest. And some jerk throws a frickin' M80 at a mounted uh-huh. policeman's horse. You know, 
which could just as easily kill the cop, okay? You know, and then the horse, you know, I don't know if you know anything about horses, but I do, is also just as likely to go charging through the crowd and start killing people. You know, a horse is not a small animal, um, and especially if it's panicked, you know, it's it's not going to respond well. And then it's an M80, which is going to lead the police to wonder, okay, did someone shoot at us? Right. You know, or maybe the protesters might panic and think, are the cops shooting at us? You know, it's just that that's just waiting. You know, it's, it's just a, a situation that you're, you know, hoping to create a problem. That's when you start to wonder if these people are, you know, are are the agent provocateurs that we always talk talk about. But but more to the point, um, you know, they actually the crowd looked at the guy, saw what he had done, grabbed him and threw him out to the police so that he could be arrested, <laughs> which I yeah. thought was pretty darn funny. But Let's get back to the main topic here. So what was it like to, uh, you know, to, I mean, like how many different occupies do you think were represented? Did you meet people from just all kinds of different states or was it mostly occupies from Pennsylvania? Um, occupies from Pennsylvania, yes. Portland, met some people from there. Some people from New York. Right. Um, there again, and I will say some people from New York were also um more in the mood to protest and do direct action when we, when they were there. Others were there to do other things. Um, and uh, there were people coming, more people coming from Detroit, but they're there now and so have coming later. Um, if you have ever worked with anybody from Occupy Supply. I haven't I met, yet. Yeah, I uh, talked to the folks from there and we had a nice chat about it. They were... Uh, you know, making quite a lot of progress and getting these, you know, uh, uh, supplies for occupiers and and uh, putting out marketing and creating things that people can can uh, can brand with their own local occupy and then sell and um, doing some really good work. Um, interestingly enough, their kind of uh, spin on it was that the same thing that. We have to be careful about how much we use this occupation tactic. Um, what is it useful for? What do we gain? And maybe the pop-up style stuff where we go, and it's more like guerrilla warfare. You go, you have your action, you leave, you pop up somewhere else. Uh, and I've heard a number of people talk about that. It's it's more of a constant irritation, and you don't give anybody a single target. Where will you be next? Who knows? Right, and you can get a lot. I think a lot of other places you normally might not go, simply because you know you're going to be there for a short time. Um, you can make the determination how much civil dis disobedience you're going to, you know, affect. You don't have to be somewhere a long time to get on the news, to to irritate a bank. We had a uh, a local action here that occupied Detroit, and and some other groups participated in, uh, where they went inside the lobby of a bank, it was uh, it was Chase Bank, and played out a large game of human uh, uh, monopoly. And and basically, of course, with occupied themes that had to do with foreclosure uh, and that type of thing. It was highly successful. It got on the news, got under the skin of the bank, definitely, got people's attention, and it was probably over in a couple hours. Right, nobody had to necessarily get arrested. By the time anything gets there, it's over. Uh, I think a lot of those there's some potential, and so I heard people there speaking about that type of an occupation force, that type of a tactic, something to change, something to be different, rather than trying to hold a specific area for a really long time, because as we found in Detroit, that takes resources. Right, right, and and you have other people coming to the camp that really are not part of the Occupy movement. They're they just they need a place to stay. They need food, so right. the homeless will come in, and that can create all kinds of problems that you don't have the resources to to deal with. Right. Um. So, um. To a large extent, uh, I'm trying to think if there are any other groups I spoke of spoke with, and I'm not really thinking so much, which is interesting and good, I think. And I'm not really thinking so much about where the other groups were as I am the people that I talk to, people that have women's, women's movement uh, issues, right? Uh, like the craziness around you know women's health and uh, birth control and abortion and all these issues that have gone kind of nutty lately 
um, when it comes to trying to control those those benefits and services that are so critical. Um, so it's more of the conversation that I remember and who I spoke to than where they were from, and it's oddly similar. Uh, the local issues could be slightly different here and there, but not that much. See, that's actually really powerful, though. I mean, and that's that's kind of the the vibe that I've gotten from every Occupy I've visited. Unfortunately, I I missed my chance to visit Occupy Windsor because I guess they they took down their camp. But um, Occupy Flint, Occupy Lansing, um, obviously Occupy Detroit. I've been in contact with some of the people from Occupy Albuquerque and Santa Fe. I'm still trying to meet up with them. I don't know if it's going to be possible, but, um, you know, there's kind of almost a, I want to call it a family feeling when you're an occupier. You know, like there's a certain commonality, a certain shared respect that transcends where you're from and, what you know, and also like uh, where, you know, basically, you know, what, where you come from and how they, they stick together, I guess would be the word I would use. Because, like, Occupy is made up of a lot of diverse groups, like you pointed out earlier. We've got anarchists, we've got communists, we've got socialists, we've got zeitgeist movement members. You know, we've got all different kinds of people all in this one melding pot, and they may vehemently disagree on some things, and they may even get to some verbal shouting matches about it. But at the end of the day, at least with most of the occupiers I've dealt with, you know, if there was something going on at camp, you could expect those people to back you up, you know. And I think that's a beautiful aspect of this movement. Well, well, right, and it's there's some very positive things beyond that too. You think about all these different economic theories, and coming into it, I will admit that I had no idea. Right, I'd never written anything. I'd never, I'm sorry, I'd never uh, read anything uh, by Karl Marx, uh, by Chomsky. Uh, I didn't know a lot about it. Right, it just sounded like you know some stuff that was kind of risky. Right. And because I had grown up in the Cold War, right, when all we were told was that communism was the ultimate evil and, you know, there was, you know, the red menace. And before my time a little bit, uh, McCarthyism, right? And so that's the message I got. So that locked out the ability to, to read about that, to learn about these things. And, of course, you know, knowledge that's dangerous, um, we're often told, you know, not to try and acquire, right? And so... Through that and through meeting these other people, even though there were a lot of differences, it opened up my world quite a bit. And now it's nice to have a conversation with somebody. If I start hearing about, um, you know, surplus value and robots, you know, as I kind of chuckle about that a little bit, but I know who I'm talking to. Okay. Right. I know this guy's a Marxist. I know where he's coming from, and I know what some of his ideas are, and I happen to think there's some damn good ones, Right. Um, but I don't have to buy in all the way, neither does he have to come to where I'm at. But uh, it's very much uh, a thing where all these uh, different groups like that coming together and the kind of the family of it and sticking together like all families argue when they're together. Hopefully when the larger collective is there, we, we do support each other. There is even uh, one gentleman I know that travels between Occupies. I think he started out in Occupy Lansing, and he's come here quite a bit, and um, he can always check him out. He's on uh, Occupy the Journey. Right. And so he's he's constantly traveling to, between all these different Occupies. So I'm trying to keep track of him a little bit better because he's got a pretty bar good barometer about what's going on. But even so, he's just another indicator of the fact that, yeah, we're tracking each other. There's a little bit of underground knowledge of where people in the family are and where they're moving around to. Um, and I do think, too, that people get this odd sense that occupiers are this one single thing. From the outside, I get this. But we realize the diversity is tremendous all over the map. Um, but oddly enough, from the outside that word is just as much a service to us as it is an enemy at moments. Well, well, occupier. So, so I'm walking around Philadelphia, and there are tourists walking around. And so there's this whole thing going on at the park, police everywhere, right, shields up, you know, the helmets with the shields on them, and all kinds of, you know, they got 
the, the big vans with the, the back doors opened up, ready to haul people off. All this craziness is going on. <laughs> this couple is walking by. What's going on over, over there? You know, she's asking her husband. He's like, oh, I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with that Occupy thing. <laughs> <laughs> you think? I don't you think? Uh, um, but, yeah, we are uh, definitely... Uh, Definitely very much like any other type of a, a family in that way. Highly critical of each other, um, but yet cohesive from the outside and seen that way. Um, I would definitely – oh, go ahead. I was going to say um, uh, I have to say that I've been in a lot of positions where I've dealt with other activists where, of course, you know, uh, racial diversity is, is said to be embraced. And they may even actually mean it when they say it, but I've never felt it as much as when I'm at an Occupy event. You know, um, someone's race, someone's gender doesn't even necessarily ever have to come up. Um, uh, you know, and ironically, you know, it, it usually comes up when you're dealing with somebody who that happens to be one of their hot button issues. You know, whether they happen to be of a certain race and are and are fighting for their race's rights, or you know, maybe of a you know maybe they're of a certain gender and they're fighting for their certain gender's rights, but for the most part, when you're sitting in an Occupy event, you can just talk to anybody there, no matter who they are, whether they're Mexican, Asian, black, white, you know, and it just doesn't matter. You can just, you know, and it, it, it doesn't even, like, I guess for me anyway, it just never dawns on me. I don't even think about it other than maybe to talk about um, certain aspects of people's cultures that I, I like to learn about, but it's never an issue of... You know, do I have to talk to this person differently for for this reason or another? I've never seen that kind of unity before, and I, I have to say that was one of the the best aspects of it. Especially when you think about it, the the way it brings people together from different walks of life who probably never ever would have met each other, you know, if it were not for Occupy. There was another uh, a black gentleman named Terry uh, who used to spend a lot of time at the camp, and he had some really great talks. And it occurred to me that, you know, he and I would probably have never met, you know, would have never interacted, would have never known each other if it wasn't for Occupy. And I would not have learned, you know, the various pieces of wisdom, you know, because he was an older guy, you know, uh, if it weren't for Occupy. And I'm glad to see that what you're saying, you know, is there's still that, that brotherhood going on at this mass gathering. So um, now I guess that's one of the reasons I was curious about the places was not necessarily to say that they were different. It was just it was interesting to hear how far away people were traveling. Like I've heard there are some, uh, there are actually some New Mexico occupiers out there. I'm in New Mexico right now visiting a friend. And, you know, I was like, man, that is quite a journey to get all the way out there, you know, from New Mexico. It makes me curious, like, you know, what other places and, and maybe some, like, did it, did you run into any foreigners? Like, were there any non United States occupiers there? You know, I didn't notice very much of a presence of that at all. If, if there were, I just missed it or didn't talk to anybody. Well, it probably wouldn't be that hard. I mean, there's what, a, like a sea of people there, isn't there? Or yeah, um, it, it built up, uh, but it was, uh, um, you know, I would say, you know, between a hundred and two hundred, and it's probably building. It's probably larger by now um, than it was just building up over the weekend. Uh, but even by the time I was leaving on on Sunday, you know, the, the numbers were coming along. Um, it was it's interesting too uh to tie up what happened as a result of that evening before I forget about it. Yeah, um they they decided to they decided to march and and leave the park cuz they could they, the police were saying you can stay in the park, you can sleep on the sidewalks. Um but you can't pitch tents. And what what happened was they were offered um by uh, I'm trying to think of the group. The, it's a religious affiliation, um, and and you'll find it interesting as soon as my mind will come back to me and and I can recall it. Uh, Quakers. Uh, it doesn't surprise me at all. Quakers are awesome. Right. But yeah, go right. ahead. Anyway, so they you know they were supportive and said, hey, you can come use this parking lot of ours. Mm-hmm. And and so they went. They marched down the street. They went and they used the parking lot, and they did that instead. Um, there were, I guess, there was enough. There were enough people in the end that said we don't want to push this to its conclusion. So we would rather just go, and so we can have the events uh, and the things that we want to do tonight, and not have everybody, you know, 
getting arrested. Now, I know there's been 30 arrests or so last time I checked, probably more. So I don't know if that's been sparked by the initial conflicts that were negative, and so now all of the direct actions that are simply marches are getting, you know, more scrutiny. Right. Uh, but uh, I did find it rather interesting that uh, uh, that was, a to me, kind of a surprise affiliation. And once I think about it, it's like, no, it kind of makes a lot of sense. But uh, very interesting. Um, yeah, so I didn't I didn't see a large foreign presence, or at least I didn't talk to anyone, so I can't really speak to it. Okay, well, excellent. Um, I mean, it, it's good that you had that. Now, can you think of any other moments that were that really stuck out in your mind? You know, that like just different things that made you really happy that you got to be there. Um. I think that uh, that's a little hard to quantify, but I guess what I would say was the individual conversations. Right. Uh, I think that's always the best takeaway. You stop, you talk to someone about it, they're just curious um, about what's going on. You speak to another photographer. Uh, I met someone in the park that night who had the another freelance photographer, he came up to me, we chatted, he's like, hey, you know, just be careful, don't get arrested, you know, get your material back. And I'm like, yeah, cool, you know, thanks. And I'm definitely in that camp of I'm going to get my material back. And I don't want to have it lost or deleted. So I kind of have to, as I've been told by many photojournalists that I've met along the way, be professional, stay a little detached. You've got to get the information back. If we don't get that back, then it's all for or not. Right, so don't get too worked up and too involved. But um, getting that kind of advice, or even the just you know looking at each other's uh, photographs or whatever in the back of the camera occasionally, or just talking to someone about what's going on, um, talking to individuals then about why they came. Right, so you'll get their stories about, well, here's what happened to me, or this is why I'm involved. Those are all things that I think we need to hear because. Somehow, I do think that we all have this idea that if we aren't at the front of that police line, right, screaming and raging, that somehow we aren't involved in Occupy. But there are a lot of people out there doing a lot of things behind the scenes and getting things done. You know? Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, real quick, uh, um, kind of step back for a moment because a, a listener named Janet Bronstein was nice enough to get us the, the full wording of that John Lennon quote, I'm just going to read it real quick. Uh, when it gets down to having to use violence, then you are playing the system's game. The establishment will irritate you, pull your beard, flick your face to make you fight. Because once they've got you violent, then they know how to handle you. The only thing they don't know how to handle is nonviolence and humor. John Lennon. So, Right. Janet is the uh, editor of my blog. That's awesome. And so thank you very much, Janet, for pulling that in for us. And she will research and uh, do fact-checking, and she will keep you very honest. Very That's talented awesome. very talented person I've been able, uh, very lucky to be able to work with. So that's the other thing great about the Occupy movement that, that I would say. There is just an example of someone that's an experienced journalist, right, that, that did work for AP Wire for major newspapers, the amount that you can learn from people that come in from that and are willing to accept you as, okay, somebody that wasn't schooled, that doesn't know some things, right? But you will learn a lot from them. It's um, You can't really get a better way of learning a skill, right, than to make it real. And uh, I would encourage anyone, whether it's, you know, photography or writing or whatever it is that you do, um, seek out those that are sympathetic and try to bring them into the movement to share their skills. Obviously, not everyone appreciates everyone else at all times, mm-hmm. but I, I think you'll find that there are plenty that do, and there's a tremendous opportunity, if you will, to enhance your skill set and be taking something away. Not only are you serving the movement better, right? you're also helping yourself build some skills for the future. And enhancing your life, it's a lot more interesting than simply sitting on the sidelines, 
listening to the news every night and feeling helpless. And these people can help you get it done. Uh, don't be afraid to take the advice of professionals around you. And if you don't have them in your group, go get them. Because I can tell you that a journalist certainly are not, uh, you know, not afraid to be involved in this type of thing. It's what they've done all their life. They know what's going on. That's excellent. It's good to hear also from another journalist there, and you got to talk to you know other journalists that were there. Um, can you think of any of these individual conversations or you know perhaps people's stories that you heard while you were there that stick out that you'd want to share with the audience? Um, there was a couple personal stories that I, I probably don't really feel like comfortable <laughs> uh, <laughs> sharing. Um, so I, I would think I want to just respect their an- anonymity and even their story. Um, but, um, uh, I'll try to think of something in general, maybe that, that popped out. Well, while you're uh, thinking about that, actually, I have an announcement for my listeners, and I hope that the sound of the rain on the roof is not too loud. I'm actually broadcasting from a camper out here in New Mexico. Um, But anyway, um, I just got a hold of an Israeli activist named Sahar Vardi. Um, Some of you might know her because uh, there's been a picture circulating. It's actually a series of three pictures circulating on the Internet right now of a um, Israeli girl, uh, basically, you know, like, I guess, young woman, uh, shoving a Israeli police officer who was pointing a gun at a Palestinian boy. Um, I did some searching around about her, and I finally got a hold of her. So uh, it looks like she's going to be on a future episode of V Radio. Um, after doing some looks into her, she's been an activist for a long time in Israel. So although that's not related to Occupy necessarily, although apparently there is an Occupy uh, Israel movement that's doing pretty well, um, you know, I just wanted to let the listeners know that that'll be coming up on a future episode of V Radio. So, I guess uh, where we were at um, was talking about you know any of the memorable experiences you had. You said that you know you talked a little bit about the police. Uh, how were people feeding themselves? Were they, was everybody just going to the local restaurants, or did they have any kind of uh, camp-like food situation? Um, basically, while I was there, they had water out on the street. I suppose that's another interesting story now. Um, They had those large plastic containers full of water and ice, and they did have some food that they had brought from a food drive. So that was, you know, like peanut butter and other canned foods, but I think they were giving that way to the homeless, and that was, again, kind of a, really not kind of, it was really a protest against uh, the mayor, and uh, I got the mayor's name right here not my hometown. So um, anyway, Michael Nutter, of all things, is uh, the mayor of Philadelphia and uh, has a law in place that doesn't, that will go into effect, I think it's July 4th or sometime closely after that, that does not allow you to feed homeless people in public uh, areas like parks. So I'm not really sure what the purpose of that is other than to hide our shame. You know, I, I really don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe that's it. Um, totally, it's like, well, we don't, we don't want to admit that we have a homeless problem. And uh, so there was a lot of food there, um, canned food, and so from food drives that was being brought in for that explicit purpose. Other than that, I didn't see a lot of organized because I don't. They weren't really allowed to set up kitchens and so forth. Uh, so I think it was mostly what people had brought in their backpacks or were finding locally around or whatever. Um, but there is, is, I guess, another interesting example of a story, um, because I'm wondering this, why can't we feed the homeless? And you can't use a park um, because they need to go to these certain places so that they can be hidden and gotten out of the way. And I wonder what will happen as that number of people grows. You know, that sounds uh, like a tourism thing. Like they're just they're scared right. people won't want to come to their city if there's all these homeless people all over the place. Yeah, I, I would guess you know that that's part of it, especially over the holiday weekend. But still, this is law it isn't just for you know a week during the Independence Day celebrations. This is you know an infinitum, right? And, until it would be repealed. So, but yeah, it's a tourist type of city. Um, Philadelphia is struggling, right? The school systems are struggling with not enough money. 
Um, they have all kinds of problems, but evidently they have a tremendously large budget for police. Uh, amazing. <laughs> so I guess it's a federal city, uh, whatever exactly that means, I don't know yet, but I have to research that a little bit to find out. But there's federal resources for police force, so they have plenty of that. Um, so, you know, and then I, I suppose the other, the other thing that I really wondered about while I was there, and, and maybe it's the antithesis of your question, is what I didn't hear. And people would talk about their, their local issues with their local mayors, uh, what was going on in their cities, the foreclosure epidemic, you know, what was going on with that, and if they were having any luck with that or not. But there was also the stated purpose, right, of this whole entire gathering was to conduct direct actions, which they certainly did, movement building. Well, okay, I'm not sure exactly what that is, but I think I understand. And the creation of a vision for a democratic future. I'm not seeing the discussion around this vision. And, you know, you've got a word like democratic in there instead of just what the future is. It could be very much a democracy. It could still be capitalism in some form. Who knows? But it might be a blending of other things as well. But I think one of the things we're suffering from is a lack of a defined, some type of high-level defined vision. Where are we going? And what are we trying to achieve? If, uh, if anyone is interested, uh, there's a great book by the late Saul Linsky called uh, Rules for Radicals. And he talks about you know means and ends in that order. And it, it seems like to me that occupies a tremendous amount of means. We know how to conduct a protest. We know how to organize for that. Um, we seem to be able to do these encampments. But what are the ends? What are we getting to? Why? What, are we, what do we have to achieve to get what we want? And I think that, left undefined, is causing a lot of this, you know, internal struggle that we're having. And I, I really hope that the rest of this week, that more of those discussions will take place and there'll be more takeaways as people come back to the local occupies to think about that and to truly form that. Um, I think we'll be weak until we start to think of things in that way. We will we will lose the uh, attention that we've been e- easily able to get just through sensationalism because that will grow old. It will grow boring. And news media won't show up for it anymore. There's already a de-escalation of that. It has to be new, and the people that are involved have to get something out of it, and they have to accomplish something. And we have to see a greater goal of what we're trying to get to. Otherwise, I'm really not sure what we're protesting. Or why? Just because we're angry, we become angry, then our minds shut down. Our ability to logic and reason is lessened. And we are no longer thinking, right? We are just letting raw emotion come out. And unfortunately, as right as that might feel, as angry as we might be, it's not accomplishing our goals. And I think if uh, we can get more to a state of that, we can also connect with the rest of the country. Maybe people that aren't going to participate in Occupy, but maybe we can gain friends, right, that understand what we're trying to accomplish. And then those, as you've mentioned, too, given some examples of that are destructive rather than constructive within, you know, will stick out more. And they can simply be cast aside as something greater gets put together. We need to bring in alliances, even if they aren't occupiers, even if they don't totally understand where we're at, we've got to start building that, or I don't think we're going to develop the type of influence that we need to move forward. You know, that's actually really interesting. Um, a good friend of mine named Aaron Hawkins, he uh, runs the YouTube channel uh, Storm Clouds Gathering, um, and people can check him out actually at his website, uh, waitingforthestorm.com. Um, he does a lot of great stuff, and he's been trying to work on an effort to get the Tea Party uh, to recognize the few things that it has in common with the Occupy movement. And obviously, the Tea Party generally comes from disaffected people who are, you know, more lean to the right, but there are common enemies, you know, that those two groups, you know, could concentrate on working together on. In fact, even Congressman Ron Paul, 
who is notoriously right and obviously would not agree with a, a lot of the things that the Occupy movement is about, still said, well, hey, Occupy, let's end the Fed. You know, most members of the Occupy movement that I know of are opposed to the Federal Reserve and the way that it illegally, you know, messes around with our currency to create uh, booms and busts artificially to the benefit of the elite. You know, that's something that maybe some occupiers get behind. You know, uh, there are other, you know, common enemies that both have. In fact, I had this neat little graphic. I think I put it up once on the um, uh, on the uh, Occupy thing, but it's basically kind of showing the things that the Occupy movement and the Tea Party were both angry about and then kind of blending them together because they were really related to each other in a lot of ways. You know, the Tea Party is angry about, you know, state power and the Occupy movement tends to focus on corporate power when the reality is all of the agents of the state are paid for by corporations. You know, so you're talking about the same enemies. You're just approaching it from a different angle. And the we've, the other thing about these groups that, you know, this is something that I have to say is unique to Occupy that's different, but they, they tend to spend so much, like in most other situations I've been in, they tend to spend so much time and energy on what's different about each other and fighting vehemently against one another, you know, over those things, whereas the 1%, as small as they are, they're all on the same page. You know, they're they're all basically working along the same lines. They they've got they've got their teamwork, you know, together. Whereas a lot of these protester movements they really don't. You know, they, they fight each other endlessly, like anarchists. Watch anarchists bicker sometimes, man. The the ANCAPs and the ANCOMs and the ANSINs and all the different anarch anarchist schools will sit there and fight each other endlessly over which one, you know, which school is the best, or which school is the real anarchists, or whatever other crap they can come up to fight with. It's like, I actually had a Stefan Molyneux, who's a well-known anarcho-capitalist radio host on my show a couple times, and we talked about how, you know, these these organizations that are, you know, trying to strip for a stateless society should probably spend less time on fighting each other and more time on focusing on their common enemies. And I, I hope that the Occupy movement can do that, but I also think that. The Occupy movement, like you know, like we were saying earlier, I think that one of the reasons they hesitate so much, to perhaps, to take sides in a lot of things, is because one of the strengths of Occupy is that it is such a diverse group, and the minute you start taking sides on things, you're going to have a situation where you might alienate people, and then the group becomes smaller. So the question we have to ask ourselves about, you know, is um, is there a point, you know, at which we have to decide? You know, do we need to take more sides on certain issues to even be effective, you know, to be more than a group of angry protesters who camp in parks? You know, or is it worth it to us to hold on to the amount of people that we have, you know, to accomplish the common goals that we can manage to get most people to agree on? So um, we're down to the last two minutes. Go ahead and take a minute to respond, and then I'll give my parting uh, words to the listeners. All right. Well, we're just going to have to agree to disagree on the tea partiers. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I can see what you're saying. It, it, it does make some sense, but I'm not sure, you know, when we're done fighting the battle that we're just going to fight each other. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not sure about that one. But um, I think that's precisely, though, why a quote-unquote vision or visionary type of statement or approach is necessary. It doesn't take sides. It doesn't, it doesn't um, speak to particular issues. It simply says... This is something that we are, are trying to get to, or here's at least what we don't want, right? Let's at least agree on that. And then once we understand that, the approach, what we decide to do at what time, you know, is more clear, um, can become much more clear to us. And that way it allows us to change, you know, it allows us, you know, the reed to bend in the wind, so to speak, right? So that we can change and do what we need to do without being locked into any particular philosophy. So I think when I say high level, I mean high level. But let's try to come to consensus on at least that or at least what we don't want if we can't figure out what it is that we do. That's well said. Um, go ahead and give my listeners the URL for your blog again. Okay. Occupied. DetroitFreePress.org. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I'll have to make sure I subscribe to that myself. You should check out the V Radio blog sometime, although I don't use it as much as I do my show. 
Um, I want to thank you for coming on today, and I want to thank everybody who tuned in today. Um, if this is your first time listening to V Radio, please check out my website, v-radio.org. There you can check out archives of other shows like this one and many other shows of other diverse topics and great roundtable discussions of current events affecting our world. People from all over the world come to V Radio, and I've had guests from the Middle East, I've had guests from Down Under, I've had guests from England. You know, just the the whole world gets covered at one point or another in this show. So I'm going to leave you guys with some words from Jock Presto and Roxanne Meadows. This is Roxanne Meadows. And this is Jock Presto. And you're listening to V Radio. All right. Hold on a second.